Hello guys, uh, welcome to another exclusive interview from Essentially Sports. Today I have the immense pleasure to have with me one of the greatest Indian tennis players to have graced the most grandest stages on the ATP Tour. Um, a fantastic personality who is not only known for his tennis accolades, but uh, also for his achievements of the court. So uh, thank you, Mr. Vijay Amritraj, to uh, you know, take, take time from your <laughs> schedule to talk with us. Thank you. Great to be great to be on the show with you, Vivek. Uh, let me just start off by congratulating you uh, on receiving the Golden Achievement Award uh, recently in London. Uh, how are you? How are you feeling at that time? What were the emotions running through you when you when you received that award? Needless to say, it's very special to receive something like this. First and foremost, uh, as I said in my speech there, that I received it as an Indian. First and foremost, the first Indian to receive it. So to me. It just uh, given this accolade to all of uh, our country, men and women, all of the athletes who play for India. I think it's a very special feeling to receive it uh, for services to the game and uh, uh, for my uh, duration of how long I've kind of been at this. But most important of all is the support that I've received over the years from you know, Indians in India, Indians overseas in the different countries that I played in. And so I always, I always accept these things, which is very, very special on behalf of uh, all Indians who have done that and, um, you know, literally put me in an elevated position because of that. You've, you've been in, in, in commentary right now for, for, for quite a few years right now. So how are you enjoying that part of, you know, um, phase in your, in your career right now? I think the commentary and presentation on television, which I started way back in 91, 92, has been um, a real eye-opener for me because it was the first thing I did was the Grand Slam events right after my tennis career. And it gave me an opportunity to see the sport from a, both from a viewer's perspective and from a player's perspective. So it gave me a, a good, it was really a good challenge to actually present the sport one to the viewer who understands and knows tennis very well and he or she plays the game and uh, others who might not understand the game well enough and try to bring them into the sport. So it was a wonderful challenge to be able to accommodate both audiences and at the same time enjoy what I was doing. Well, I would like to say as an Indian, uh, I really didn't grow up watching you play, but uh, but the commentary has been amazing. I've, I've actually grown into tennis because of you, and I hope that you know you continue doing this uh, across across your uh, you know next few Thank years. You. So, Thank you, Vivek. Uh, Thank. You. So, other than commenting, of course, you've kept yourself very busy um, uh, after retirement. Uh, you, you've you know uh, gone into multiple movies. You've gone into multiple TV series, and of course, uh, now you're planning to launch your own documentary as well. Um, so how how had how did that experience um, you know um, inculcate into your experience uh, you know uh, whatever you're doing right now how, how did that come into the picture um, could you tell us about that? I think the movie part of it came from um, a very uh, suddenly to be honest I was playing on the centre court at Wimbledon when uh, the producer of the Bond pictures uh, the late great Cubby Broccoli was watching the match with his daughter and uh, they approached me after that to they apparently had looked at several uh, Indians for the particular role they were looking for and eventually offered to offered me a 
screen test to be able to do at Pinewood Studios. So with the director, John Glenn, and um, I, I had never done something like that before. And, and so I basically did it because I figured, you know, who could say they worked at Pinewood Studios and played at Wimbledon, you know? So it was a, it was a wonderful opportunity for me to challenge myself to something else. And uh, after I did the screen test with the, with the great American actor, James Brolin, for that particular screen test with the director, John Glenn, um, they offered me the role and, uh, you know, got me on for 14 weeks or something to that effect. And we were to shoot uh, 10, 11 weeks in the UK and uh, three weeks in, in India. And it was just the most magnificent experience one could, uh, one could possibly imagine. What goes into not just making a film, but making a Bond film and uh, how each of these things are so intricately managed by the production team. And um, the end result is a spectacular film that the world enjoys. And, and it's funny you mentioned it was a challenging thing. How, how challenging and how different was it from your tennis uh, uh, career? Because uh, even, of course, growing up in India, you know, it's not a sport that really uh, comes as an option naturally for Indians. So how challenging was your acting role and how difficult was it uh, when, when you compare it to tennis? It was a challenge because it was new and uh, how things are positioned, where the camera is and, and who you're talking to and where is the person you're acting with. Uh, you know, where is the, how good is the lighting on parts of your face or on, on yourself and how well how are they doing that? I, you need to understand all aspects of it before you can actually deliver the line and what the director expecting and what he wants according to the character. So I think that way it was a tremendous challenge, but it was a, it was a spectacular learning curve for me because I was working with the most professional team in the business. The crew was spectacular. The director was terrific. And of course, the star I was working with, Roger Moore, was a very, very special man. Now, not only was he a a fun guy to be around. He was a he was a spectacular gentleman, and he and he helped me through a lot of lot of situations, and we got along very well. So the rapport between him and me, I think, also came off very well on screen. But overall, it was a spectacular experience because it, it taught me more about how how movies are made and what goes into it. Very different from playing tennis because tennis is very straightforward. You play well, you win. You play badly, you lose, and that's it. You know, there are only few people playing, and uh, and you're done. But yet, there's so many peripherals that are involved to make the scene look good. It's interesting you say that. You know, uh, tennis is much straightforward, but I don't think it was really that straightforward to you because you know you left your house with you know barely 3.5 pounds in your pocket, and um, you had a lot of challenges coming into. Uh, you know, you had a lot of health issues as well initially in your career as well so what what would you uh, term as the most challenging thing um, in your tennis career was it the uh, physical aspects of it was it the mental aspect of it um, what was the most challenging thing for you growing up in, in in your tennis career the first one would have to be the health issues because it started at a young age and uh, the tennis part of it came into play to be able to overcome my health issue that was the reason tennis came into the forefront and uh, you know eventually after the discipline and the sacrifices that were made by my parents especially mom everything that went into it was um, 
magnified 10 times over to be able to help me play tennis to get over my health issues so that I could go to school, I could do normal things that kids were, kids were expected to do. And, uh, but strangely enough, tennis became very much a part of my DNA from a young age. And uh, I got good fairly quickly. So by before my 14th birthday, I ended up winning a major college tournament. And then you ended up winning another college tournament by the time I was 14. And uh, eventually traveled abroad to Asia, to Malaysia, to play the Junior Asian Championships, even when I was still 13 and a half. That was for an under for under 18 players. And then eventually my first UK trip was at 15. My first USA trip was at, was at about 18. So everything happened fairly quickly and I became number one in India by the time I was 18. And then by 19, I ended up uh, being on the world stage and beating Lever at the US Open and beating all the following year at the US Open and so on. So a lot of things happened right after that, but uh, uh, it was health was the first thing to overcome, bad health. And, and did you look up to any people who helped you uh, in this journey of yours initially in your career? Because uh, it seemed like a difficult part to choose um, um, with, with the physical conditions that you had. So um, was it your well, family? I didn't actually, yeah, I didn't actually choose the path myself. You know, I mean, it was, it was uh, suggested by the doctors in the hospital and my parents were, uh, the sport of choice was tennis. They both played tennis, especially my mom. Yeah. Uh, dad started playing tennis after he married her and they became very, very fond of the game and the mother's side of the family always loved the game. Anand was already playing tennis, my older brother. And so I think that was very much a part of the DNA of the family. So when uh, this was said to, our, to my parents, then, you know, my mother took it upon herself to make sure that I could be given everything and not left behind because of health issues. And so uh, that's that's the way it got it got started, and uh, then all of a sudden it took its own course as I started to get better and better. That's wonderful to hear. That's wonderful to hear. Um, you you've also got your own foundation uh, that you've started, um, the Vijay Amritraj Foundation. Was that um, was that an inspiration because of the struggles that you had faced in your initial part of the career as well? Oh, no question, uh, Vivek. I think the issue of having grown up with uh, uh, health conditions and health issues, but having the support of parents like I have, like I've had, uh, are the ones that made the difference. And uh, unfortunately, not everyone is blessed with those kinds of parents. And uh, often enough, there are children around the world who are either left behind, not loved, orphans, not having access to all of the basics. So I was hoping that at some point, if I ever get good enough at something and I was able to serve the community in whether it's one family or five families or 5,000 families is, is not as important as, but as doing something that can make a difference to the lives of, of families that might not have had the kind of help and support and parents that I had. And so having served the United Nations for nearly seven years as a messenger of peace for Kofi Annan, once my term ended, then I went on to start this foundation in the US to be able to help charities on the ground in India. 
that's great to hear you of course got your uh, documentary coming in as well which i think focuses um, on that aspect of your life as well uh, it's of course been you know it's been directed by an oscar nominated uh, uh, director sami khan and uh, how has that uh, been shaping up could you give us more details about your documentary that's upcoming right now i think the uh, first issue was the the fact that something was going to be made about me and and, and my story and uh, when i wrote a book my only book that i've written an autobiography way back in 1990 when it was released um it was meant to really target it towards young young children and and to make sure that they can also believe that uh, the impossible can happen and to and to be able to dream big and with work and and uh, the right kind of ethics and and the kind of support that i've had uh you know you can be what you really are you know dream to be and so i hope that this this film this documentary can tell a story that uh it's possible to to do what you want to do and what you want to achieve and and where you want to get to without losing the train of thought as to where you came from and i think that is a critical element of uh anyway of my story the way the way i've been very fortunate to have as i have always said the kind of parents that i've had to give me the opportunity to to do all of this that i never never ever dreamt would be real and um today having having had a tennis career that was very fruitful for a very long duration of time to have played davis cup for india for 20 years to have done a bond picture and a and a and a star trek motion picture and to have television series of my own in the united states they've been on talk shows around the world and so on and so forth these are not things that uh, you can possibly imagine when you're 5 6 7 years old and and not in the peak of health so uh, the, the, the impossible can happen with the kind of help and support that i've had talking about the impossible of course you went on to have a phenomenal tennis career as well i mean you made the grandest stages of all you beat the biggest players in their prime you were of course uh, you know i don't even remember if you th- uh, 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 it's it, you were you were within the part of the abc um, basically if you remember corners uh, borg and amrit raj so um, uh, which was your fondest victory of all uh, you you of course beaten the top players in uh, in their primes you of course beaten corners multiple times as well so um, which was your most fondest uh, memory of all of them I think you always pick the early ones because those are they resonate better for you at the time when you were nobody and and uh, you suddenly playing on the center court at the US Open against someone like uh, Rod Laver your idol the greatest of all time and uh, the only man to win two official grand slams and uh, on national television in the US the first indian to be on it and across the entire country on CBS and and a long match in front of 18000 people who didn't know who I was and and then you come through in those kinds of situations and you end up winning in five sets is uh is what put not just me on the map but I think it put indians on the map worldwide and uh that made a huge difference to one the way I believed in what needs to be done and and two also to be able to get even better to be able to compete against the best which i was fortunate enough to do thereafter for for many many years but certainly that one stands out because it was i was 19 years old when that happened and um, 
and the next year I went on to be Borg as well at the US Open and then played numerous great matches at uh, Wimbledon and, and, and the other others as well. So I think the important aspect here is that when you do something and you know, the first to do it, when there is an original aspect to it, it kind of stands out more in your mind and resonates more with the people. You, of course, talk about putting Indians on the map because of your achievements, uh, but um, no one has even come close to uh, performing as well as you've done in singles. Of course, we've had double successes with uh, multiple names. Um, even Sanya Mirza, I think, right now is on her last year um, uh, of the tour. Uh, what do you think has been lacking in terms of Indians in, in, in the singles game? Because uh, they've had a fair amount of success um, uh, in terms of doubles, but um, nobody has even come close to uh, uh, anything big uh, uh, in a while since you've, you've graced the court. So what has been lacking in terms of Indian tennis in, when it comes to singles? I mean, there, I think there are, there are a variety of uh, things that need to come into place. Uh, in the old days, it used to be lack of facilities. It used to be lack of sponsorship, lack of television, uh, lack of uh, local government support, lack of uh, 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 coaching and a, a whole slew of stuff that we didn't have when we were coming up, and in the, especially in the late 60s, early 70s, and so on. Uh, plus, our physical attributes were always, we were smaller in stature and we were competing with guys who were uh, bigger, stronger, and better physically uh, overseas. And that it was, this, is, this is, by the way, across all of Asia, not necessarily only our yeah, India. Yeah. So, uh, but now that's not the case. Now, the boys who, who I know across India were, were playing Davis Cup for us and, and uh, also traveling the world, playing challenger tournaments and stuff are all my height. They're big, very big boys. They're strong physically. They serve big. Um, yeah. They have tremendous support from different parts of the country. Sponsorships are available. Facilities are there. You're going abroad constantly. You, are, you, you can train in Spain. You can train in Florida. You can train in the hotspots of the world. And so it really now comes down to a very, very strong commitment from the individual themselves to be able to risk everything in the kitchen sink to make sure that you can uh, hit that gold standard and compete at the highest levels of, uh, of, the, of the ATP Tour and the WTA Tour and, and put us back in the Davis Cup and the Fed Cup where we belong. And uh, we haven't been able to get back into those top 16 teams or 18 teams uh, for quite a while. And I think that's, that, that's the disappointing factor because in the past, we used to be the best team in Asia and now, you know, we struggle to be in the top four. Of course, we've got uh, big names from India as well. Uh, which one of the names has uh, impressed you the most? You know, has it been Sumit Nagal, who of course had, who took a set away from Federer at the US Open as well? You've got Yuki Bambri, you've got Somdia, of course, who's retired right now. But um, has, has any one of uh, these names impressed you in the recent times uh, um, uh, in terms of singles? Vivek, it's hard to to put your finger on it because it's important to, when you say uh, you're impressed with someone, you need to be able to show some kind of strong performance on tour, on the ATP tour of beating top names or having the uh, three or four good wins over a 12 month period. Um, uh, you know, moving up the ladder on a regular basis, you know, in rankings. You know, you see a lot of guys you never heard of today who have, uh, 
in, in a year, 18, 12, 18 months, uh, they move from 400 to 150 to 75. And then the next thing they are in the top 20. And, uh, and, and, and the work continues to increase more and more because you're playing better and better players. So I think those things are important to be able to judge someone's improvement rather than you know staying back in the hundreds and 200s and 300s and, and then trying to perform constantly but not getting past the top 50 to be able to give us a chance in the Davis Cup. That's, that's interesting to hear because the kind of competition we've had in the singles right now, not just considering Indians, uh, but across the ATP, it's been very difficult for people to topple the uh, the big names. Uh, of course, even right now, it's been Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic winning the biggest uh, tournaments. Uh, of course, you were there at the Wimbledon this year as well. Uh, you saw Novak Djokovic triumph again uh, after almost one year of drought uh, in terms of slams. Uh, what did you think of his performance and, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the the number of numbers uh, that have increased and he's gotten close to Rafa and uh, what do you, what did you think about uh, his performance there? Well, obviously nothing short of outstanding. He's always been one of the toughest ever players we've ever seen mentally, and uh, I think the fact that he what happened to him in Australia and he had to come back and then yeah. start playing some tournaments. So he had he was he was he was lack of match practice by the time he even got to the French. And uh, the way he performed at the French itself was was admirable, losing to Nadal in, in a tight four-set match. And uh, I think he worked even harder by the time he got to the grass at Wimbledon to be able to give himself enough for practice and matches to be able to do what he did. But the interesting thing was, just when things got difficult against someone like a Yannick Sinner uh, in the fifth set, being down two sets love, it looked like he was down and out. And that's when he started to get better and better and better. Yannick Sinner is certainly the future of men's tennis, no question about it. Shapovalov, uh, Sinner, Alcaraz, uh, all these guys, Kyrgios, all these guys are knocking on the doors of uh, the top names. But still, at the end of the day, as we've seen three Grand Slams over with, the same two names that keep coming up uh, yeah. after, after the after the Grand Slams. So it's going to be interesting to see the US Open because at the moment, Djokovic cannot play. And it's, yeah. going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if Nadal is going to be fit enough and strong enough to play and well healed from the stomach injury as well in that, uh, that quarterfinal. So we'll wait and see also where the Federer plans to make a comeback and thinks he can come back and play on the hard courts in the US Open. But, but we're still waiting for that all-important outsider or a challenger to pick up a Grand Slam this year. Yeah, it's, it's of course, uh, uh, interesting to see you pinning your hopes on Federer still to come back and, <laughs> you know, compete for the bigger... Th <laughs> it's uh, it's good to hear yeah. that from you, of course. Uh, but but that's not been the case with uh, with the WTA Tour. Uh, we've, we've had a new champion this year as well uh, with Elina Rybakina. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've seen multiple different champions uh, in, in the past couple of years, of course. Uh, there has been a little bit of uh, domination and consistency shown by Ash Barty and uh, Iga Swiatek. Uh, but at the same time, we have seen multiple champions um, um, at the Grand Slam level. Uh, so, so what do you think has been the difference uh, there? Uh, because um, uh, has it been just the mental side where Rafa and Djokovic have been really, uh, you know, uh, uh, pushing themselves? Or has it been something different that is happening on the WTA side right now? 
I think what's so interesting about the WTA Tour is the fact that we are seeing new players, we are seeing new champions, we are seeing new challenges coming along, we are seeing new two players we probably have never seen before play great matches against one another. These two played a fantastic final at Wimbledon this year. You know, yes, Hans, Hans looked like she was the favourite coming into the match, obviously, to win. But at the end of the day, uh, Dan heralded Rabakina, who had um, seeded 17 coming into the final, um, just played absolutely freely, you know, and uh, the nerves didn't get a hold of her even towards the very end of the very end of the match. So I think when you look at these variety of uh, players playing, even the way she beat Halep along the way made a, made a very big difference. So I think as we see more and more of these girls all bunching up at the top, it's really exciting to watch it because you don't know which two are actually going to get, get into the final. Whereas in men's tennis, it's still been at the end of the day, it's been these two guys, two, three guys who have actually been able to win the, win the majors. But I think that's, that, that, that precipice, we have reached that precipice as far as men's tennis is concerned. So on the one side, we are seeing the favorites win. On the other side, we are seeing the challengers fight it out at every, every, every weekend. It, it surely is exciting right now to uh, to watch the WTA tour, especially. Um, of course, you, you you spoke about Sinner, you spoke about Felix. Um, um, who do you think is because of course um, the kind of buzz that Alcaraz has generated this year by winning the uh, couple of Masters in, under his belt, and of course he's reached the quarterfinals as well. Uh, who do you think has been uh, is the closest right now to um, to get to that uh, dream state of you know competing? Of course, Kyrgios. Um, yeah, it's not probably uh, his forte to compete at that uh, kind of level consistently, but uh, yeah, Alcaraz, Felix, like you said. Uh, so, wh- who do you think is, has got the potential right now to um, you know knock on the on, on the doors? I think there are lots of guys who are looking to win a slam, from um, you know Sitsipas to Shapovalov to Kyrgios to Felix to um, uh, a variety of sinner, but I think Alcaraz is still kind of the front runner in that group to by maybe by a short nose for the simply because he seems like he's a bit more of a complete player. If you look at him, he's able to yeah. show variety, he's able to show the lobs, he's show, able to show a very powerful forehand, he's able to yeah. attack well, he moves forward, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with his volleys, he's mentally very strong, uh, and he also, for not a very, very big guy, he looks physically strong. So he looks like he can go the distance. So yeah. I think when you take all of these things in consideration, he might be the slight front runner with the nose in front. But all of these guys right there uh, have to survive injuries. You have to come out of, uh, uh, you know, when you come out of an injury, it takes you a while to get back into it. A Berrettini, a Zverev, and all these guys who have been recently injured or, or sick, um, will have a you know, little bit of more of a learning curve to get to the US Open uh, in peak form. So by the time Cincinnati and Toronto and these events conclude, I think we'll have a better shot at who's going to get the US Open. That's very interesting to hear. Of course, we've got Cincinnati, like you said, in Toronto and the US Open spring coming up right now. Another exciting name uh, that um, we are, we're looking forward to see is Serena Williams, who of course returned after such a long time to Wimbledon. Of course, she had a very exciting match, first round match that she went down in. Uh, what did you think of her return and 
uh, where do you think can she can she really come back and um, compete at that kind of a level right now after such a long hiatus and of course with the motherhood and all of the other priorities that have come into her life do you really think uh, uh, because of course us open being her home tournament um, um, do you really think there's a chance for her to this time you know perform a little bit more better yes i mean when you have someone as great as serena williams come on court the whole match revolves around only how serena williams plays it has very little to do with the opponent yes the opponent needs to be strong and firm and mentally tough and all of it and not get blown off the court because serena can do that to anybody but the couple of things come into play with her at this point one is coming back after a long layoff is never easy and even for a great champion like serena williams you need some matches under her belt that's an important aspect the second thing is of course a physical ability is she is does she feel fit enough to win seven matches on a hard court in the west that's mm-hmm. not that's not easy and it can be get it can get very hot and muggy in um, in queens when when these when the matches are on so that's a very hot month end of august beginning of september uh, thirdly uh, does she have still the mental fortitude to keep herself so closeted for the seven matches now which she hasn't done in a while but only because it's Serena Williams you can't bet against her but i think if she's physically well enough to play seven matches or physically well enough to move about the court freely with the completely injury free i think you know you would never bet against her that is good to hear uh, it's it's really Uh, good to hear that you you are still uh, pinning your hopes on Federer and the likes of Serena Williams. And um, in, in fact, I would like to c- come back to one of the recent interviews Andy Murray uh, Murray had given, uh, uh, and he had said that it was really unfortunate that he played in an era where uh, all these big three players were there. He said, "Kid, I I would have liked to play uh, in an era where uh, these three wouldn't have existed." Uh, so I'd like to ask you a question on a personal level. Would you have liked to play uh, played in this era, uh, just to enjoy the kind of level of tennis that is going on right now with the big three, or um, uh, would you have preferred to play in the Jimmy Connors and the Bjorn Borg and the McEnroe era? Well, I've always said that I've been very fortunate to have played in the era that I did. Hmm. Uh, McEnroe, Borg, and Connors were arguably three of the best that have ever played the game. They were all three different personalities. they all three brought different aspects of tennis to the tennis match and three different kinds of personalities as well when they played uh, the game was the, the the game at the time in the 70s was always on network television worldwide it had an overwhelming audience that watched matches even when these three guys were not playing because there were numerous guys like myself Dickie Stockton Raul Ramirez Brian Gottfried Roscoe Tanner uh, you know Peter McNamara you know all of us who brought a lot to the game besides the three top names of my generation i think when i look at the three of them and what they've achieved and matches that i've had against them i was very grateful that i played during that era now watching these three guys playing itself is magic because to think that between the three of them you know they could have 63 majors is is not just un- un- unimaginable but uh, uh, uh quite uh, honestly quite unbelievable so you're looking at some looking at three guys who could have been the greatest of their generations had they played at different times and different eras yeah. but to have 
to, to have played against these three guys would have also been quite spectacular because you would have had to raise your game to that level and consistent, consistently worked yeah. against them if you had any chance of wins. So I think Mare, uh, was, Mare's game was pushed to the limit because these three guys pushed him to the limit. And that's why he got better. That's why he won the three majors. That's why he won the Olympic goals. That's why he was pushed to a point where he had to be better than he could have been in any other era. That is really, that, that's a really good insight to uh, hear that, you know, uh, Andy Murray's level, uh, level probably wouldn't have been the same uh, if, if the big three wouldn't have pushed him. But uh, do you think Murray as well, you know, after the hip replacement, he has not really uh, made any big waves in tennis as well. Um, and he was, of course, expecting a lot this year, um, uh, you know, with the home support and uh, coming back to Wimbledon with, with, with some kind of hope. Uh, do you really think he has uh, he has it within him to uh, to to win a big title in the near future? Uh, yes and no. I think uh, winning seven matches over five sets is a lot more difficult than winning a tournament uh, uh, around the world on the tour because that could potentially be five matches <laughs> over a week period, uh, which I think Andy is capable of doing. Uh, Whereas in women's tennis, you know, someone like Serena Williams can come back those seven matches, it's still two or three sets. So she could get enough of a reprieve if she doesn't have long matches. Uh, in, in these five-set matches like Djokovic had against Sinner or, or uh, Nadal had against Taylor Fritz, I mean, those kinds of matches can, um, you know, literally throw you under the gun, you know, and it's very difficult to, if you have any kind of injury or uh, recovering from surgery and things like that, when they come out of those situations. So it's hard both ways for both for the boys and girls, men and women rather. But at the end of the day, Murray winning a Grand Slam at this point is a little bit of a tall order. All right. All right. Uh, I'll let you go. Just a couple of questions uh, I, I had. Um, uh, who do you think right now is the greatest player of the... Of course, there's a lot of talk about the GOAT debate and I just wanted to ask you um, on, on that question because you have first played against some of the greatest players and now you're watching them live as well. Um, uh, who do you think right now is is the biggest name in tennis um, and who, who would you, you call the GOAT uh, in terms of, um, you know, in, in the open era especially? Of course, uh, we've had Rod Laver and such big names as well, but uh, who do you think is the greatest uh, in terms of... Uh, well, I, think, I think, Vivek, it's always hard to compare generational generational greatness because uh, ever since uh, Roger Bannister ran the minute under four uh, ran the mile under four minutes you know there have been several people who have done it after that it doesn't make him worse that just makes makes him even greater because he did it in the time that he did it similarly when you look back at labor when he won the Grand Slam in 62 as an amateur and then came back and won it again as a professional in 69 he became the only man in history to win the Grand Slam twice and since then, nobody has won it. The closest yeah. that someone has ever come is Djokovic, you know, when he lost in the final of the U.S. Open, yeah. uh, the last match. You know, he won 27 out of 28 matches. So I think when you look at all of the results, you'll have to just go back and check the boxes and say, Labour was the best in his generation. And he, had he played in any generation, he could have been the best. And Federer Nadal Djokovic playing in the same generation could have also been the greatest had they played in the 60s and 70s. So I think it's a it's a hard comparison to make when you when you look back at great athletes over a period of time. But at the end of the day, 
the greatness is in the way you're able to perform at that particular moment in time. So in that moment in time, as we see these three guys perform today, is unimaginable, as it was when Labour won the Grand Slam in 69. That's, that's, that's amazing to hear from you. Uh, we finally have a name from you. That's Rod Labour. So that's, I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, one <laughs> last question. <laughs> one last question I've got, you, uh, got for you is, um, do you have any advice to give to the budding Indian players right now? Of course, you said the physicality right now isn't the problem and probably it's the commitment or the uh, mental thing, uh, mental fortitude. So is there a, are there a couple of things you would like to say to the Indian players right now? I think someone who wants to really give this a shot, especially as a youngster. I think you should take it one step at a time, whether you're playing in the juniors first, and then target target American college tennis. I think American college tennis does world of good for someone who wants to make the professional tour. So if you get good enough in the juniors and you're able to win major junior championships, you then automatically play some of the senior events, but you will get you'll get very good opportunities to play for colleges in the United States. And those Division I colleges give you incredible, incredible experience to prepare for the tour. So depending on how good you get post your first year in college, second year in college, then you can take off and actually go and play the tour for a few years or complete college and then go on and play it. I think college tennis is a tremendous springboard for pro tennis. That is amazing to hear. I think this is the first time I've heard this kind of advice coming uh, towards Indian players. I'll, um, it's it's very um, it's very niche advice from you as well. So uh, thank you again, uh, Vijay, uh, to uh, to have um, you know to have given this time uh, from from your schedule. And I really can't wait to uh, uh, see your documentary that is uh, going to come in the recent times. Uh, and. And I'd like to again reiterate the kind of impact you've had despite um, not playing tennis right now for, for the Indians. It's, it's been amazing to watch you commentate, to, to hear your insights as well. And uh, a quick a quick question, again, a small question is, uh, do you have a name for your documentary that's coming up? Or, or do you want to um, keep it a secret? I don't, I don't actually know uh, how they're doing it. And, and the, the, the director is in command. The, the producers are... Uh, put their heads together with the director and uh, they are uh, literally quarterbacking the whole thing. And so uh, they, uh, I'm in it as long as they want me in it. And uh, otherwise uh, the more important thing is to, to tell the story yeah. that will encourage youngsters and, and young parents to believe that the impossible can be achieved. Thank you, Vijay. Thank you again to, to have uh, Thank you. given us this time. Thank you. Thanks, Vivek. Nice talking to you. Take care. Yeah. Thank you. You too.